So we are working our way through uh, Revelation chapter 19. And Revelation chapter 19 is a uh, chapter about death, destruction, and damnation. Destruction, death, and damnation. And Revelation 19 will be the fourth and final end to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The main theme of the scripture, if you didn't know, is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ outdoes every other subject by five to one. And uh, we were able to reach, I think it was chapter it was chapter 19 last week, of course, and we got up to verse 11. But just want to take you back to Revelation 19.1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged a great whore which did corrupt the earth with a fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Go to John chapter 1, please. And John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, written by John, who would also write the book of Revelation, tells us from uh, the first chapter, verse uh, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Therefore, your new birth, if you are saved, is as a result of the Lord. You don't save yourself. You don't keep yourself saved. Salvation is a free gift. It's grace. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Free will, 12 again. But as many as received him, man, woman, to them gave he power and authority to become the sons of God which means we replace the fallen angels from 1 John chapter 3, even to them that believe on his name, the just shall live by faith, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Go back to Revelation chapter 19. So therefore, you are saved by grace, you are kept saved by grace, and it all goes back to the Lamb. And that's why 19, 1 and 2, they are praising Jehovah, they say, Alleluia, 19.1, spelt with an A, not an H. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Whatever he does is right. He can't fail. He is perfect 24.7. For he hath judged the great whore. Mystery Babylon, chapter 17, chapter 18, dealing with ecclesiastical Babylon, dealing with economical Babylon, which did corrupt the earth with a fornication. It starts in the 4th century AD and goes right up until the end of the tribulation and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Why? Well, she would put the Lord to death. She would put his apostles to death. She would put his disciples to death. She would kill Bible believers throughout the centuries and the two witnesses will be put to death by the Antichrist who will be affiliated with the whore of Rome. And therefore, judgment is being uh, sent her way. She has got her comeuppance. So like I say, last Sunday, we looked at verse 11 and we ended in verse 11 from Revelation 19. And I want to read it again quickly. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. From Revelation chapter 6, we read some weeks ago about the Antichrist who also appears 
on a white horse. And most commentators think that the uh, white horse and its rider from uh, Revelation chapter 6 is Christ. Incorrect. It is the Antichrist. Or look at it this way. Son of Satan is the Antichrist. Son of God is Christ. And if you were to look at both side by side, if you weren't saved, you couldn't tell them apart. Because the Antichrist, who of course is affiliated to Satan, is a great counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is referred to as a roaring lion, going about seeking to devour whom he will. And Jesus Christ is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. You couldn't tell them apart if you weren't born again. So we have two horses in the book of Revelation. One is found in chapter 6 concerning the Antichrist, and one is found here concerning Christ. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He will judge everyone and everything. And when he does so, there'll be no appeal. There'll be no need to uh, have someone else give you a second opinion. And that's why it's imperative to be born again. And that's why it's imperative to receive Christ's imputed nature. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. And the latter part of verse 11, one more time. He doth judge and make war. Scripture says that Christ is a man of war. And the best way to understand that is to go back to the book of Joshua and read it. And see how Joshua would deal with enemies of the Lord or Samuel. For that matter, there was an occasion back in the Old Testament when King Saul was commissioned to exterminate the Lord's enemies and he failed to do so. And Samuel got wind of this and was furious with Saul's uh, inability to follow out a clear order. And therefore Samuel in his 70s got a sword out and cut this wicked king's, I think it was Agog for memory, his toes off and his fingers off. And he said to Saul, that's what you should have done. And he strung that man up and let him uh, hang until the sun went down. You see, the Lord deals in different ways to us. His ways are not our ways and our ways are not his ways. We think many times we understand how the Lord operates, but many times we do not. He would uh, severely chastise Adam and Eve for eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree. And they fell as a result of doing so and the entire human family fell into original sin as a result they lost their innocency they died spiritually that day not physically but spiritually and some people would say well had that been me I wouldn't have been so uh, quick to judge our first parents but that's just the whole point you're not the Lord that's not how you operate you are much lower than the Lord his standards are much higher than ours revelation 19 look at verse 12 please his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Eyes like fire. Chapter 1, and here his head has many crowns, and yet from Revelation chapter 5, from memory. In fact, I'll just turn there very briefly to make sure that I have the correct uh, piece of scripture. From Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. No mention of any crowns, because during the tribulation, 
He is very patiently sitting up in the third heaven next to his father. Crowns, picture, royalty. Crowns, picture, a throne. Crowns, picture, power. But here, Revelation 19, it has all changed. The kingdoms of the world have fallen. The capitals have capitulated, just been obliterated. Now, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is about to return. And like I say, from Revelation 19, 12, he has many crowns, not just one, but many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Go to Revelation chapter 2. He had a name written which nobody knew but he himself. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 17, please. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, not Israel, but the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I will give you of the hidden manna, you will eat of the hidden manna, I will give you a white stone, and in a stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, look at verse uh, 12, please. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. At the moment, we refer to him as Jesus. At the moment, we refer to him as Jesus Christ. At the moment, we refer to the one true God as Jehovah. The Jews refer to him as Adonai. But here, him that overcometh, verse 12, he that gets saved, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. It starts on the new earth and goes off into eternity. Also, you have this pictured in the new Jerusalem. And he shall go no more out, and I write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. Going back to New Jerusalem being in reference to the body of Christ, whereas the new earth in reference to Israel, the Jews. Jehovah has a wife, Jesus has a wife, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I write upon him my new name. Go back to Revelation chapter 19, please. This is all still to occur, and for us, for those of us which are born again, the best is yet to come. 1913, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Not the written Word of God, but the living Word of God. And here he is spoken of as having his vesture dipped in blood. Not his own blood, but the blood of those that have refused him. The blood of those that have rejected him. The blood of those that have decided to do their own thing. And I made this case some weeks ago that this is pictured from chapter 16 concerning an area, say, from Manchester to Oxford. And that is around 200 miles. And that's why it's so important. I can't keep stressing this enough to get saved, not to pass up the gift of everlasting life. Because when he comes back, he comes back as an angry son of David to rule and reign. The first time he came as the suffering saviour, the son of Joseph. But the second time he comes back as the son of David, angry, righteous, of course. And he will put his enemies down. Look at verse 14, please. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Literal horses. And here 
They are referred to as the armies of the Lord. If you go back to the Old Testament, Israel is spoken of as being armies of the Lord under the command of Joshua, under the command of Moses, under the command of Aaron. But here they are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Go to 1 John chapter 2, please. And I made the case last week that when we get to the judgment seat, we will be judged, not for our salvation, thankfully, but as to how we lived after we were saved. And in 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 28, please. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You say to yourself, how could I be ashamed by his coming? Well, did you live righteously? Did you live holy? Did you abide in him? And now, little children, abide in him. John 15 says you have to abide in the vine. And if you don't abide in the vine, you risk being just plucked out, just discarded, because you have to live off the vine. When he shall appear in him, or when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it's like this. You arrive at the judgment seats of the Lord, and he will judge you, like I say, and he will examine you and he will weigh up your works and if your works aren't right or if your standard isn't holy or if you didn't live like you could have lived you risk arriving at the judgment seat almost naked and you will just wish that things could have been so different and that's why it's important to live a certain way that's why it's important to do what you can when you can not to become lackluster not to become indifferent But from Revelation 19, we're still in Revelation 19. Go back to Revelation 19, please. Armies in heaven followed him, verse 14, upon white horses. Leave it as it is, don't spiritualize it. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Not concerning imputation, but concerning your own righteousness. Concerning your own garments, which again will be dealt with at the judgment seat of the Lord. Verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Go to Psalm 110. And I sat down a couple of nights ago to look at this piece of scripture from Revelation 19. And I was also looking at the Old Testament. And I thought this piece of scripture from uh, Psalm 110 was very interesting and very relevant to Today's message from this morning, of course. Psalm 110, look at verse 6, please. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall win the heads over many countries. Concerning Messiah, of course. Concerning the heathen nations, the Gentile nations. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. Going back to his vesture being dipped in blood. He shall wound the heads over many countries. You think of a head of state. You think of a country having leaders or a leader over such, and here he will deal with such people. No, at the moment he wants to save people. At the moment he wants people to believe on him. Go back to Revelation 19. But because he knows what is in man, he knows that for the most part they will reject him, they will uh, turn from him and do their own thing. And therefore there will be consequences. There are rules in society, there are rules in the church. There are rules in the family home. There are rules in the church. There are rules in school. There are rules in your place of employment. There are rules in the church. You can't get around it. And here, 1915, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, double-sided sword, 
that with it he should smite the nations, Gentile nations. Partly pitched in the scripture, he will use a scripture to judge people. That's found in the Gospel of John. And at the same time, he will use a literal sword, like David would do, concerning Goliath. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. If you really want to understand this, just look at Joshua. Just look at Moses. Look at Samuel. Look at David. Look at uh, Solomon. Look at those men when they dealt with people that were on the other side of the issue. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Starts at the end of the tribulation and goes into the millennium. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. God is angry with the wicked every day. God hates all workers of iniquity. And yet at the same time, why would you pass this up? Why would you dismiss it? Why would you not want to be saved? Verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King over all the kings of the earth and Lord over all of the lords of the earth. He would say that he was Lord of the temple. He would say that he was Lord of the Sabbath. He would allow Thomas to bow down and worship him because he is deity. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, uppercase, King of kings and Lord of lords. Picturing his deity, of course. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. We have two feasts in chapter 19. We have two ceremonies in chapter 19. We have the marriage supper, of the Lamb and the Supper of the Great God. Go to Psalm 27, please. If you speak to Catholics, they say that their Mass is a literal reenactment of Christ's sacrifice, and they make a big uh, song and dance over their beloved Mass. And if you were to take their Mass away from them, they'd have no religion, they'd have nothing to offer anyone. And from Psalm 27, a very interesting piece of scripture which goes quite nicely with. Uh, Revelation 19, 17, and 18. Psalm 27, Psalm 27, look at verse 1, please. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Did you get verse 2? When the wicked, this is David speaking, type of Christ. When the wicked, picturing unsaved people, and yet at the same time picturing those that Christ will come to die for. When the wicked, like unsaved people, when the wicked, even mine enemies, he would say to Judas, friend, whence comest thou? He would speak about laying his life down for his friends. There's much in this piece of scripture. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, like the Sanhedrin, like the religious elite, like Pilate and co, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. If you eat my flesh, you have, present tense, everlasting life. If you drink my blood, you have, present tense, everlasting life. And here David is speaking about those that want to put him to death. And Christ would make it very clear from John chapter 6 that 
if they wanted to be saved concerning the Jews in a synagogue in Capernaum, there were no Gentiles present in John chapter 6. They would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. In other words, they'd have to put him to death on the cross, substitutionary atonement. And here, the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Go back to Revelation chapter 19. So if you were to ask a Catholic to exegete uh, John chapter 6, they couldn't do so. And I've just shown you from Psalm 27 that to be saved, you'd have to put the Savior to death. You'd have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Not literally, of course. If you were to do that literally, you'd be guilty of cannibalism. You are to do so in a spiritual sense. In fact, John 6 goes on to say that his words are spiritual. The flesh profits nothing. You are saved by being born again. But no time to examine John chapter 6 in detail. 17 and 18, one more time from Revelation 19. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, literal birds like eagles, vultures, and hawks, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. It's going to be just an absolute, how can I put it? A feast like has never been seen before. If you think of a horror movie, if you think of a slasher film, if you think of anything that made your blood cruel, this will go some way to help you understand what we're about to read. 18. That ye may eat the flesh of kings, literal kings, literal leaders, and I mean literally eat their flesh. Birds, like I say, eagles, vultures, and hawks. And in those birds, behind those birds, unclean spirits. Like from uh, Isaiah 34, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, generals, colonels, captains, majors, field marshals, and the flesh of mighty men, their lieutenants, and the flesh of horses. You say, why would that be the case? Well, this could feed back to bestiality. One of the reasons why the Jews are told back in the Old Testament to kill animals and people were because people were doing things with animals that they shouldn't do and here not only will these birds of the air these fowls of the air eat the flesh of kings captains and mighty men but they will also eat the flesh of horses literally and of them that sit on them just everyday lieutenants everyday corporals privates just everyday people and you can't uh, get around the fact that this is going to be a massacre like 200 million men marching towards Jerusalem with the anticipation that they can take Jerusalem and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great so it's like this as the tribulation comes to an end the entire world will gather together and they will march towards Jerusalem now at the moment the United Nations is very anti-Israel in fact, I heard not long ago that at the UN they have a special department which is set up just to monitor Israel. Never mind North Korea, never mind Syria, never mind uh, Saudi Arabia. They are obsessed with Israel and they passed many laws, many rules, and they censor Israel over her right to the land, over her right to defend herself from Islamic enemies, and yet they have no interest when it comes to Syria, like a civil war, or North Korea, 
like a genocide state or other parts of the Middle East like Syria or Somalia. But when it comes to Israel, they are infatuated with her. Free and bond, small and great, and such will be just massacred. I guess it's like if you've ever watched a war film and you see a convoy of trucks heading down to invade a town or a city and airstrikes are called for. And all of a sudden, planes arrive from nowhere, could be British, could be American, and they just drop bombs on a huge convoy of cars, tanks, trucks, what have you. And there are bodies just everywhere. And if that wasn't bad enough, all of a sudden these vultures appear from nowhere. These hawks appear from nowhere. These eagles appear from nowhere and they swoop down and they start to eat the rotten corpses of such people. 1919. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Man has waited since his fall to fight the Lord, to kick the Lord off his throne. We shan't have this man to reign over us. We have one king that is Caesar. Let his blood be on us and on our children. If you live in the UK, you are very much aware that the main cuss word, the main swear word, the main blasphemous term that people like to use is OMG. You hear it all the time. You hear it on television, you hear it on the radio, you hear it on the streets. And yet just 10, 15 years ago, we had what was called the watershed in the UK. And the watershed was set up back in the 1970s with the... um, decision or the uh, mandatory uh, law that pre 9 p.m. swearing wasn't allowed, blasphemy wasn't allowed, uh, sexual scenes weren't allowed and yet now that watershed has pretty much just evaporated. You put your television on four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon, you watch cable television or satellite television, they are showing 15 uh, movies, movies with a 15 rating or an 18 rating, which in America is R-rated, and you see stuff which you couldn't have seen 10, 15 years ago. But the main term, the main word that gets used is OMG, or JC. So I'm not overly surprised from 1919 to see this almost suicidal mission. And I saw the beast, Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, presidents, prime ministers, Prince of Sansa Fourth and their armies, like 200 million, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, Jesus Christ, and against his army. So we will be drafted into the army of the Lord. We are already, in a spiritual sense, in the army of the Lord, but at the second coming, we are literally in the army of the Lord, and we will see this battle about to take place. We will perhaps even be involved in a uh, combat role to some extent. I don't quite understand that, but I guess if we look at the old testament if we look at especially uh exodus 12 13 14 and 15 when the children of israel leave egypt they come out as the armies of the lord and they are rejoicing in the fact that pharaoh has fallen a picture of the antichrist and soon afterwards they are put into their tribes which are referred to as armies And like I say, Joshua would summon such people to battle, as would David, as would Solomon. There's much fighting in the Old Testament, literal fighting, because Jehovah wanted his people to A, take the land, and B, to police the land and beyond. 20, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Enoch and Elijah were taken to heaven without dying, and here the beast and the false prophet will go into hell without dying, and they will burn in hell forever and never burn up. And the beast was taken, twenty being the Antichrist, of course, and with him the false prophet could be someone like Simon Sorcerer, could be someone like Balaam, that wrought miracles before him, literal miracles. Yes, they were satanic, but they were literal miracles. In fact, even Judas would do literal miracles back in the Gospels, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, unsaved people, children of Satan, not children of the Saviour, and them that worshipped his image. A literal image of some kind will be built during the tribulation, like Nebuchadnezzar's image, and you'll have to bow down to it, and if you don't, off with your head. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. If you have a local rubbish dump in your town, if you have ever gone to your local dump to take rubbish there, there will be a chimney which is burning, like Auschwitz experienced, Dachau experienced, Sachsenhausen experienced, and if you go to your local dump, and maybe you should go one day if you haven't been, you will see a chimney at your local dump, and it is burning all of the time. And that, of course, is what Jesus will speak about concerning Gehenna. It's an ongoing bonfire. It's an ongoing fiery furnace. And in Jerusalem, they would have uh, such a place where they would burn their rubbish up. Go back to Dachau. Go back to Sachsenhausen. Go back to Auschwitz. They were burning 24-7. And I've got one uh, statistic uh, that came to me a few days ago that during the 1940s in Poland, in Auschwitz, they were killing 20,000 Jews a day. Make that what you will, but that was the statistic. 20,000 a day. And that chimney was burning 24-7, burning up people. And I thought to myself, that pitch is hell. I mean, hell is never closed. Hell is always expanding, according to Isaiah. So you get the idea of a rubbish dump a place where they burn up unwanted waste, picturing hell, of course. But 20, the false prophet, the beast, Antichrist, as a result of deceiving the world, are cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Just go to your local dump, take a look sometime, and you'll have some understanding as to what hell is really all about. Many roads in, and yet not one out. 21, and I will close. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Think of David again. Think of Goliath again. David had a literal sword, and David used his literal sword to kill Goliath. Goliath, of course, is a type of the Antichrist. On top of that, Goliath was this huge monster of a man, and David was just a child. David, of course, went in the power in the strength of the Holy Ghost, as with Jesus Christ during his first trip to the earth. And a remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, Antichrist's remnant, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, partly picturing the scripture, the word of God, and partly picturing a literal sword. And all the fowls are filled with their flesh. So Christ will come back on a horse. We will come back with him. He will gather the nations. In fact, this will be 
World War Four. World War Three was found in chapter six, and World War Five will be found in chapter twenty, verse eight and nine. So here you've got World War Four. You've got Christ coming back on a literal white horse, an Arabian stallion, perhaps. We will come back with him on horses, clothed in white garments, pure and white, so on so forth. And Christ will get his sword, like David would do, and he will just cut. This remnant to pieces, 21. Remnant, those that were faithful to the Antichrist, those that were in cahoots with the false prophet, those that were aligned to such a wicked satanic trinity with Satan very much behind such. His sword proceeds out of his mouth. Like I say, partly picturing the scripture and partly picturing a literal sword. Colon, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh, literal birds circling, waiting to land, waiting to eat what is left of such people's remains. So I would just say this very quickly before I conclude and wrap up today's broadcast and say that Revelation 19 is a very dark chapter and it deals with death, destruction and eventual damnation. What will take perhaps months to build up to this initial battle, which also is spoken of from chapter 20, though they are two different battles, you understand, is all over in a short period of time. Going back to the marriage supper of the Lamb, if you think of the Holy Ghost presenting the bride to Christ while God the Father performs the marriage ceremony, you get some idea as to how this thing works. The Holy Ghost convicts the sinner of his or her sin, and the sinner turns to the Saviour in order to be saved. And then eventually the sinner is not only put into Christ, but eventually will be presented to Christ as a chaste virgin, a chaste bride. Jehovah has a wife called Israel. Jesus has a wife called the church. Jehovah's wife is Israel, which will reside in the new earth. Jesus' wife, the church, will reside in New Jerusalem. One's righteousness will be determined at the judgment seat of Christ. And I showed you from First John chapter 2. Some may appear more prepared, shall we say, and clothed for the marriage than others. Not concerning your salvation, like I say, but concerning your wedding garment. Concerning just how prepared you were to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those guests which are invited to such a sacred ceremony will be saved Jews prior to the birth of the church, people like John the Baptist, Job, David, Noah, Abraham. And like I said last week, perhaps Adam and Eve. I certainly hope so. The thousand-year reign of Christ is a picture of a honeymoon. A honeymoon for the church will last for 1,000 years. The king being Jesus and his wife being his consort, the church, are together forever. And like I say, during the thousand-year reign of Christ, we will be wherever the Lamb is. We are technically in New Jerusalem, but that doesn't mean we don't uh, find our way or follow the Lamb to the new earth. When we think about literal horses and chariots of fire, we are reminded about Elijah back in the Old Testament and Elisha from Second Kings chapter 2 and Second Kings chapter 6. But the bleak picture Overall, from Revelation 19, is how all of the armies of the world are going to gather against the Lord 
just outside of Jerusalem and they will attempt to take Jerusalem and yet the Lord will just massacre such people forever destroyed and forever damned in fact just go to Jude uh, if you will please there's a, a verse in Jude which is a very interesting verse and it sometimes gets overlooked concerning the return of the Lord Jude Jude 14 and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesies of these saying behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him this was spoken of pre-christ this was spoken right back in the old testament and jude has seen something or jude is writing about what enoch has seen let me just correct myself and he speaks about the lord coming with ten thousands of his saints now of course understand this that in hebrew there is no word for millions in hebrew there is no word for billions so the term thousands means millions not billions but millions and here behold the lord cometh jesus with ten thousands of his saints why to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him four times the term ungodly is found and the latter part of 15 going back to people's favorite expressions and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him they blaspheme him on the television they blaspheme him on the radio they blaspheme him online they blaspheme him on the streets they blaspheme him in their textbooks in their schools in their synagogues in their mosques and in their churches as well and one of the greatest blasphemies is the mass this awful belief that christ hasn't paid for the sins of the world that you've got to go to mass that you've got to get on your knees when the priest holds up the eucharist and you have to submit to such a blasphemous fable and that's why hell will be full of so many people not because christ didn't love them he did not because christ didn't die for them he did but because they don't want him we shan't have this man to reign over us we have only one king which is caesar a roman catholic yes concerning papal rome also concerning pagan rome caesar augustus was a gentile leader over pagan rome but the popes replaced him and it became papal rome and those jews from the gospel of matthew 27 from memory which did a pact with him which did a deal with him like the catholic church would do with the third reich during world war ii would do a deal with the antichrist during the tribulation and once they do that there's no going back for them but i'm out of time so i will close it there and next week god willing pick it up in revelation chapter 20